The following is a production of Omnis.tv. On this episode of Device Drivers, we sit down and discuss Haiku with contributing developer Ryan Levingood. This is Device Drivers. I'm Mike Bartholomew. In a personal computer world dominated by the commercial operating systems Mac OS and Windows, is there room for a third offering? B Incorporated believed there was, offering computer users BOS, their vision of what an operating system should be. Even with its ease of use, advanced technologies, and rabid following, BOS was not able to compete, forcing B Incorporated to dissolve in 2001. This left the BOS users and developers with an unsupported platform and no formal enhancements moving forward. While many viewed this as the death knell for BOS, a handful of users saw an opportunity to continue the BOS legacy via member-contributed projects. Although many were announced, only one is still active today, Haiku. Started as OpenBOS in 2001 by founder Michael Phipps, its goal was to recreate the BOS as an open-source offering. Since then, it has seen a name change, an alpha release, and many developers come and go. One of those developers is Ryan Levingood, a Haiku contributor since 2003. Ryan, welcome to Device Drivers. Thanks a lot. I appreciate you having me. With all the open source projects available online, why did you choose to contribute to Haiku? Well, a lot of it was the fact that, as you said, you know, BOS was a really innovative and, and new idea, you know, for operating systems. And, you know, in a world where, you know, we have so much backwards compatibility and you know, having to continue legacies, especially a lot of legacies that are that are not ideal for modern computing. You know, the whole idea of sort of starting over and, and rethinking how to do an operating system based on you know more modern concepts was very appealing. And the fact that BOS was closed source was obviously a huge impact of, of what you know caused it to, to go away. Because once there was no commercial you know, ability for the company to continue, they just had no choice. So the idea of an open source version that basically continued the legacy uh, in a good way of what BOS had started um, just really appealed to me. And, and, and I've always been the kind of person who's attracted to, I wouldn't say counterculture, but just things that are a little more unusual. And like I was an early adopter of Ruby long before Ruby on Rails came out. And, um, you know, and, and Ruby is a great example of where something that was somewhat unusual has become very profitable now for people working in that area. And I hope the same thing will happen with Haiku. And as far as operating systems are concerned, I think it's really the, the, the best ideal of some of the good points from Windows and, and Mac OS X and Linux, but also open source. For those listeners that aren't familiar with BOS, what are some of the strengths that you feel were a good reason to continue on BOS in an open source format? Well, B had a lot of really interesting you know, ideas behind it, and they've become even more applicable today. And a big part of that is a, a really heavily multi-processed uh, system and multi-threaded. In other words, a system that can take advantage of all this modern hardware that has multiple cores because we've essentially hit, hit the limit of what silicon can accomplish as far as transistor speeds and the speed of a, of, of a processor. So it's necessary to have multiple cores that are handling multiple uh, threads simultaneously. And in modern computing, where we have 
we're listening to music while surfing the web, while playing a video and all these things that are happening simultaneously, having that ability to, to really do a good job of, of multi-processing and making use of all that is very important. And so B really had that, that down well. And so to me that, that, you know, haiku is continuing that tradition and, and as again, is even more applicable to modern hardware. I mean, when, when B was, was out, the whole concept of multi-core just didn't exist and there was multi-processor systems and that's kind of what the system was catered for. But I think, you know, ironically, maybe B was too early, you know, before their time. And so that's one big aspect of it. Another thing that was really cool was the, the database-like file system. And that's still, I mean, no other operating system has, has come to even, you know, come close to that full integration. The, the, the idea of, of having attributes to, to files has been put into, like, certain Linux uh, file systems and to some extent in the Mac HFS Plus and, and also in Windows. But as one example, Windows Longhorn was supposed to have this great Windows file system that was going to be all database-like, but they couldn't even make it happen. Um, and so, and, and things like Spotlight that are in, in Mac OS X now, actually that was written by the guy who wrote the B file system, Dominique Gimpalo. And so, but it's still not even close to what B was able of, you know, capable of doing of having the full full integration of, like, for example, email files. It's for the name, for the subject that are all queryable at the level of the OS. And they're also shared so that you can have multiple email programs that, oh, wow, don't have to import or export. They all use the same files. And the same concept applies to bookmarks, a lot of other things. You can also take all your music and categorize it by title and then query on it, all built in the system. And this was back in... In, you know, in, in the 90s, and finally, you know, Apple and, and Windows are catching up with their indexing and, and their searchable file systems. So those are a few examples of why I think Haiku is, is a, a good system to work on. And speaking to the MP3 aspect of the music querying, I do recall back in the R5 days of BOS, instead of actually going into an application, I think it was CLAMP was the app I used to use. Instead of going into that application and doing any kind of live queries for an artist, I was actually able to do it in the OS itself within Tracker, which is something that it took until iTunes on the Mac for me to be able to do any kind of live queries. So it is a rather advanced feature of the operating system, and I don't think a lot of people, unless they've used it, could truly appreciate that. But one area of BOS that I do remember that was somewhat lacking or painful was the web browser. If I remember correctly, uh, it was called Net Positive? Yes, the, the, the B-included uh, browser was called Net Positive, and certainly toward the, the, the later ends of, you know, of B and, uh, you know, like especially in the late 90s that it became really a, a bit of a problem, especially once the company, you know, disappeared and there was no more updates to it because obviously the web is, is a huge, huge part of our, you know, modern life and having a, a good browser is really critical. Mm-hmm. And, um, and again, Haiku has had the same concerns because we had a, a port of Firefox, but, you know, Frankly, Firefox is, is designed for Windows, and uh, you know anyone who's used Firefox in anything that's not Windows, such as as the Mac or Linux, it, it just it's not as fast. They don't put as much priority on it, you know. And, and it's so ironic because especially Linux is an open source operating system, and you would think an open source browser would focus on that, but they, they really don't. And anyway, so basically, it was just the hard work of some really smart. Uh, B developers, um, not from the company, but just people who had worked with BOS before, uh, like Frederick Holm with Holmquist, and um, basically they ported Firefox to, to BOS, and then obviously also to Haiku, 
And but it just it was it's version two. It's out of date now. It just never was integrated well in the system. And so we had the same problem now in Haiku. And so my solution there was to make use of WebKit. Um, and for those who don't know, WebKit is basically it was extracted originally from KHTML, which was the KDE HTML rendering system used by their Conqueror browser. And so Apple took that and used that to build Safari. And since then, it's basically been improved a lot. And is that's now what Google Chrome is built on. It's what the iPhone uses. It's what Android uses on mobile phones. It's uh, used all over the place now. It's got a lot of companies putting money into it. So it really is the best way to go if you want a modern browser. But all it provides is the basic you know, JavaScript, HTML. It provides a lot. But to basically to get it work on your system, you have to do what's called a port. And you have to prepare all the platform form files. That, for example, when it wants to show a button on like Google.com and the edit box, you have to provide all the code to make that possible. Now, I did a lot of that work in 2007. And uh, that kind of stagnated a bit. And then this summer, 2009, in the summer of code, it was updated by uh, my student called uh, named Maxime Simon. And since then, it's actually been picked up by some of the core Haiku developers. And it's continuing at a rapid pace. And so point being that Haiku will not have the same problem that the BOS will have. We're going to have a modern browser, very well integrated. It's super fast. And its name is going to be Web Positive to combine Net Positive and, and WebKit, essentially. So the name's officially been uh, determined? Yeah. Um, I mean, the name had been thought of quite some time ago. And, uh, you know, there'd been a lot of, there'd been a, a lot of debate over what we wanted to call the new browser. And, um, and I had my own ideas for what I was going to call it if I was going to be the main developer for it. But basically when, uh, Stefan uh, Asmus took over this project recently, um, he got in contact with the guy who had kind of been looking at using the name web positive and sort of got permission to use that. And we even have the, you know, he, the, that particular person has the domain name webpositive.org and things like that, um, which we might want to make use of. And anyway, so that's probably going to be the name. And, and there's been all kinds of suggestions. I mean, Hawaii, and I could give you, a, there's a list of 100 names people have thought of. And and obviously a browser is important, to, but the, the haiku philosophy, kind of like Apple, as far as built-in things, is just to use kind of obvious names. And, and in this case, you know, the web part's pretty obvious, and, and the positive part sort of is a, uh, you know, a BOS um, sort of, uh, you know, basically just pointing to the, the history and, and a little bit of a legacy sort of, you know, here's where we came from. Paying and, homage. Uh, and I, exactly. Yeah. That's the word I was looking for. So, yeah. And so I think that's what it's going to be. But now there's a lot of battle going on uh, online concerning HTML five and, and playing video via HTML five mm-hmm. rather than using flash. Mm-hmm. We've seen, uh, for example, YouTube now offers some of their videos so that if you access those videos via maybe Safari 4 or Firefox 3.5 or 3.6, it'll attempt to display the video via HTML5, which allows your operating system to use its native media player Mm -hmm. to play your media for you. But not all sites, of course, are are going to be able to switch over, you know, on a whim to an HTML5 for video for video playing, how is Bo or how would Haiku handle Flash content online without official Adobe support? Well, yeah, that is definitely a big concern. And um, above and beyond my work on Haiku, I have a big passion against Flash and for HTML5 video. I, I think Flash is is a terrible, terrible platform. Certainly for for video, at least. You know, people want to use it for for gaming. 
or for their flashy but annoying websites, that's fine. But I think in the, the, the whole concept of, of video online needs to be taken away from Adobe because they basically dropped the ball on that. But that's somewhat of a separate issue. Now, to, to directly address the issue on Haiku, um, one of the people who's actually helping now on the, on the WebKit project, Michael Lotz, uh, about a year ago, he started just for the hell of it working on his, his own Flash interpreter. And he made a lot of progress on it and was at least able to support a lot of the Flash 7 uh, codec and could play some of the, the popular sort of online little wet Flash animations and things like that. So that provides one possibility where basically we could expand on that work and try to update it and make use of whatever open source code we could, like maybe some of the, I think Adobe open source, some of the ActionScript stuff that's, I think, became the basis for the new Firefox, JavaScript interpreters, maybe some of that could be made use of or whatever, or maybe even other pieces of, of, of the GNU Flash Player, Nash, or, or whatever. Um, as far as Nash, I don't know. I, I don't think it fits in with the Haiku philosophy because it's just it has like a million dependencies and it's a huge thing. And, and despite years of work, it still is not that far along. So I'd almost prefer to go with the Michael Lotz route. And one thing he's mentioned to me is actually just going more toward the, the, the mobile flash support, which is not quite as complex, but would still play a lot of what you might be interested in. But long term, I'm very, very interested in, in getting full HTML5 support in our WebKit port. And uh, work has not begun yet on that, but it certainly would be probably pretty trivial, especially for someone like Stefan, because he did a lot of the work on the Haiku Media Kit and the Haiku Media Player. And I'm pretty sure he could extract some, some code very easily to basically have video and audio be playing through, through the, the browser and our WebKit port. And that's, I think, where we want to focus on because, like you said, a lot of sites are switching to there. There may be a long transition, and we probably will need some kind of flash, but I think we could probably get, get by on a lot of sites with just really good HTML5 support. So I think that's what we're going to focus on. But, you know, hopefully we can get at least something that's, that's decent with uh, – either making some effort with Nash just as a, as a temporary measure or is this using this Michael Lotz interpreter. And, and if he, that's, that's his own code and it's up to him whether he wants to open source it or not, he may not want to, but maybe he could have some of us help on it and just keep it, you know, private and, and Hey, maybe it might even be a, something that might be useful in other platforms and maybe even a money-making thing because the Adobe flash player is so bad. Someone might even pay for a better one, but that's all another issue. Another issue I, I remember from BOS back in the day was networking support, more specific to network interfaces mm-hmm. and support through that. How is Haiku going to improve on that situation where maybe for a wider support of networking devices, implementing Wi-Fi support, for example? Are you familiar with any of the projects going on with the networking aspect of Haiku? Yes, I am. Actually, um, what we're doing here is we're taking advantage of, of the open source you know, community and building off other people's work, which I think is really a huge part of open source. Now, Haiku is an MIT licensed uh, piece of code, and not to get into any kind of licensing wars, but generally we prefer to make use of, of similarly licensed code. Could you, uh, um, real quick, just for the, just for the listeners, describe sure. the differences? Because I think a lot of people are familiar with the GPL. Right. How does the MIT differ from the GPL? Okay, um, so as a lot of people know, the GPL is sort of a, I mean, I, I'm not a huge fan of it, and I don't want to bash it, but it's sort of a forced freedom idea where basically it's written in such a way to use the copyright laws 
against maybe certain people who would abuse them and to basically force the, the use of open source when you make use of GPL software. So, for example, if someone writes a piece of software and they release it as GPL, and if you make use of that code in your own code and then release that, you then have to release your changes to that because you made use of someone else's work. And that other person wants you to kind of give your work back. And, this and then is, that's – sorry. This yeah. is pretty, pretty much the reason why the, the LGPL was probably created. Yeah, the LGPL was like specifically created for libraries because um, a lot of people would complain like, well, you know, if I make use of this library, which these people wrote this library to as a piece of reusable code, I'm not actually using the code per se. I'm just making use of what the library provides. Why should I have to open source my app just because of that? So that's what LGPL is for. And so if possible, Haiku tries to make use of LGPL library if, if you know, so we don't have to get sucked into that whole whole situation. But basically that's the idea of GPL. Um, and MIT is, uh, basically a little more trustworthy, let's say like we, uh, I don't say we, but the, the, the license is trusting the world a little bit more to kind of give back if they make use of software. So the idea would be that someone could take something that's licensed under M- MIT and, and, and the BSD license is very similar. They're almost interchangeable and which is what FreeBSD uses. And basically you could take that code under that license and make use of it in, let's say a commercial application and make changes to it, release that, sell it, whatever you want, and you don't have to release the changes if you don't want to. And so it's more commercial friendly. It's more commercial friendly, and and that there was a lot of discussion, I think, in the early days of the Haiku project about you know using the MIT license, and I think Michael Phipps, who you mentioned earlier, is the founder, maybe got a, got some flack over that, but it's since been fully accepted by all the developers. We just understand that the work we're doing could be used commercially. That means we could also use it commercially in the future for our own benefit. So it's, you know, and, and so far, like as an example, there was a company called Zeta for a little while who was sort of trying to continue the, the BOS tradition and there's maybe some legal, uh, you know, uncertainties there, but I won't go into that. But they did make use of some haiku code and, and gave back some of their changes. So that's an example of where a commercial company, you know, basically may, benefited from haiku but also gave back without us having to force the issue. So again, I think it's it's a case of trust. You know, do you trust the world and, and the people who support the GPL kind of don't? Maybe they're right. We'll see. But anyways, to continue this whole point, the reason I brought it up was to address the networking issue. Haiku is basically making use of free BSD drivers. And some time ago, some of our core kernel developers wrote basically a wrapper, um, at least for the source code, of free BSD drivers. And what that means is that you can take the source code for a driver for a particular Ethernet card, for example, and bring that source code into Haiku. And through this conversion layer, essentially, you can compile it and make use of it in Haiku um, without having to change the source code too much. There's, I think there's a few little things that might be necessary to have it work. But in general, it's a whole lot easier than having to write that driver from scratch. And that's the basic idea of just using the work other people have done, all the debugging that has gone into a particular networking driver and just taking advantage of that on our system. And for Wi-Fi, we've, we've basically done the same thing. This, this uh, student in Germany named Colin Gunther has basically had a, um, a PhD project to bring wireless support to Haiku. And he's done a really great job. And it's the same exact idea. We're making use of the wireless drivers from uh, FreeBSD and their wireless stack. And we may eventually write our own wireless stack, but for now we're making use of, of theirs. And it's a, and it basically 
Colin extended the Ethernet sort of wrapper API that was used previously for FreeBSD drivers and made it also work for wireless drivers. And again, it's also making use of the wireless stack. So right now, um, we have pretty decent support for basically a lot of the drivers that are supported by FreeBSD and, and the associated hardware. And But it only has unencrypted wireless support. So it's, you know, maybe of questionable use, at least in the house, most of us want to have our, you know, wireless network secured. But for being out and about, for any kind of public network, like at a, you know, Starbucks or wherever, you, you could be able to you know, be able to get online. And then, of course, this is only in the development code of Haiku. You, as you earlier, you mentioned our, our alpha release. That was back in uh, September. And a lot of things have improved and changed since then. And we're hoping to maybe start working on an alpha 2 release to kind of roll up basically all these improvements to the, the web positive browser and the WebKit port and to the wireless the stuff I just mentioned and all kinds of other fixes that have been made. Um, and uh, we, we want to try to keep keep the momentum up and, and not get too mired down and trying to make the most perfect operating system on release one. Cause that's too easy to get stuck in that. So anyway, so to continue on, that's basically the uh, solution we have for the uh, networking drivers issue. And you mentioned alpha release too. It's, it's been five months, I think since alpha one was released. Right. It was mid September when we released alpha one. Yes. And so for alpha two, what milestones are you looking to at least have accomplished so that you can actually determine that an alpha two release is ready well um we as i said the um the browser is, is a big issue a lot of people are, are do not enjoy using the, the the firefox port um so that was a big big issue so again um stefan has really stepped up there and, and also as you sort of briefly mentioned he has, he's actually being paid as a contractor now by um haiku incorporated which is the the non-profit company that's behind uh, the Haiku project, which I'm, I'm, I'm on the board on, on that. And uh, so basically we're going to pay um, Stefan some money to work basically for a month at, at a very, very reduced rate, believe me, for, for what he get, should be getting paid. But it's basically he would love to work on Haiku, and we're just kind of helping you know pay for his expenses essentially for this month instead of him having to find work somewhere else. And he's going to focus a lot on this browser project and has already made massive, massive strides on it. It's really amazing. And so that's going to be a big focus, having the browser integrated into Haiku uh, for the Alpha 2 release. And in addition, the the wireless work that Colin is working on, as I mentioned. Um, so we, we want to at least flesh that out a little bit, uh, work out the, the firmware issues. For people who don't know, uh, most wireless hardware is pretty much useless as it comes from the uh, manufacturer. And they all have to be updated with firmware, essentially which is basically like software for hardware. And uh, there's all kinds of licensing issues related to that as well. And so we're trying to sort some of that stuff out. So, for example, if you have a particular piece of Intel wireless card, you can't actually use the firmware without having to, like, agree to a you know user agreement like you do with Windows or other software. So we have to kind of integrate some of that stuff and, and make it as easy as possible to, for that to be sorted out. And we also want to continue in the, the, what FreeBSD and Linux and, and things have done of just getting kind of pre-approval from Intel or whoever wrote the firmware to be able to release it. So we're working on that kind of stuff. I don't know if we'll have all that sorted out by Alpha 2, but we'll at least have some basic system to have people install the firmwares for the, the wireless hardware we support. And as well as having the stack, the wireless stack integrated. So those are two big points that we want to have for Alpha 2. We also have had a lot of extensive work on what's called the locale kit. 
And what that means is uh, basically internationalization and localization support. And this wasn't uh, this wasn't an original kit on BLS, was no. it? No. So the the and again, this is where we've gotten into a little bit of you know maybe dangerous territory because the the original concept for Haiku release one was to basically replicate the functionality in, in BOS release five, and the reason that was done was to basically provide a more more of a focus because you know open source developers can go down all kinds of roads and, and maybe perfectionist to try to make the perfect system or whatever. So that can have some focus. That's what the, the basic goal was. But of course, you know, BOS R5 was released, you know, quite some time ago and uh, the world has moved forward. And so we don't want to release something that seems like it's an ancient operating system as well. So we've added certain improvements above and beyond that. So the wireless stack is one. Um, the, the GUI layout kit is another, for example, uh, BOS did not have an ability to define a, a GUI interface that was fluid and, and could be resized easily like you can with HTML, for example. So that was added a couple of years ago um, by Ingo Weinhold, one of the core uh, Haiku developers who does a lot of work on the kernel. But the problem with that kind of situation is these are new APIs. They're, they're not supported. They were not supported on BOS, as I said. So we actually have some concerns of, is this API designed well? Will developers be able to use it for all they want to use? And once you release a system with such an API as a public available API, it basically becomes a support issue and a legacy issue of we cannot easily restructure and change things without causing problems for developers. And we want to have a policy of not causing problems for developers, so we want to have a backwards compatibility there. So the point being, yes, we have improved Haiku, added things on to what BOS had, um, but we want to keep it limited because we don't we want to be working on Haiku till the end of time and, and not ever have a release. But those things we have added do have that caveat of being sort of not necessarily public. And the locale kit is the same exact situation. So the locale kit provides translation abilities and localization of, of dates. And another problem there is because of the fact that obviously different languages will use different words and different links of sentences to describe the same concept. We have to have support for this layout fluid layout, as I mentioned. And so what that means is the locale kit sort of depends on this layout kit, and but both of them don't necessarily need to be, we don't want them to be public for developers necessarily, so, so they're mostly being used inside Haiku, but there are a few different applications inside Haiku that still have to be localized and, and designed in the layout kit. Point being, there's still some work to be done there, and there are concerns about releasing it. Um, for developers to use, but we kind of need to because you know it's a it's an international world these days, and we want Haiku to be used by you know people around the world, and we don't want to have to force everyone to be you know experts in English. So again, to get back to the point of the release, that's kind of another thing we want to want to look at. At least having some basic um, you know localization done for some of the core apps, and whether or not we make the locale kit and the layout kit public is another issue. But we'll at least have core parts of Haiku that are under our control using those. And the idea there is since it's, you know, applications we're maintaining inside our Haiku repository, if, if we break some aspect of the locale kit or the layout kit by changing how it's, you know, structured, it only affect our code um, inside, you know, inside Haiku and, and we can fix that. So and like I said, we, we do not want to be the, the nightmare to developers that some other companies have been of changing APIs and, and sometimes you have to, and, and I know Apple has done that probably in, in, in a good way sometimes of just saying, Hey, you know, you gotta, you gotta go to the modern world here, buddy, you know, and, and update some certain things and, and Linux to some extent. But I think Linux has done it 
not so good sometimes, like some of the kernel interfaces and things like that. But anyways, so that's, I think, a little cow kit as well as the, the wireless and the, the browser are probably the three big things you want to focus on for Alpha 2, along with just general bug fixes and, and things like USB has uh, improved a lot. And, and there's other little things here and there that have, the kernel itself um, has improved a lot. The, the Ingo Weinhold developer I mentioned earlier has done a lot of work on speeding up Haiku. We're, we're still not quite as fast on compiling as Linux, I mean, Linux is a speed demon. You, 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 know, you cannot not deny that. Just the way they've optimized system calls and the kernel and all that, memory allocation. We're getting there, and we're actually already a lot faster than BOS and uh, Zeta for doing compiling. And a lot of you know hard drive-related I.O. issues are, are really have been sped up a lot just by improving the locking inside the kernel, things like that, which is also stuff that's been done for Windows 7, by the way. Um, so uh, they, they basically removed a bunch of locks that were in the kernel that made Vista slow. And so, so anyway, so we're on the same track as <laughs> how Microsoft is improving their operating system by, you know, just cutting down on locking and contention. Because as I said earlier, multiprocessors and multithreading is, is a big, big issue these days. And we want to have that work well. well and, and speaking of multiprocessors and, and more importantly, 64-bit support, one of the limitations of BOS originally was, I think it was a 2-gig memory access issue you could you couldn't access more than two gigs uh, i believe that's correct it, two or maybe even less yes it was definitely not yeah i believe it was a combined if you had memory on your video card it was also put into the same right. pool has haiku fixed that at the kernel level uh i think at this point we still have some of those same limitations because all the work to move to 64-bit hasn't yet been done and obviously, we still do have to support a lot of 32-bit systems, you know, besides the fact that we do want Haiku to run well on new hardware. One of the ideas behind it is giving new life to old hardware, at least in my mind. Maybe not all the Haiku developers agree with that, but I, I kind of like to see Haiku as sort of a green OS to kind of jump on the environmental bandwagon. Um, yeah. And, but, well, sorry. so can it access the, the full 32-bit? I believe that's four gigs. Um, you know, I, I don't know the answer to that question. I, I don't believe so because I, I think the kernel allocates a certain address space for itself. And we, we may not have the same two gig limit user space programs. So it probably is some limitations there. As far as how much the kernel can actually access as yeah. far as physical memory, there might be more. Uh, the kernel is not my area of expertise, so I can't really exactly tell you for sure. So, but um, that's definitely an issue. Speaking of the green, there's a, a pretty large green movement going on, at least in the United States. I did recall that there is a there's a, a log or a uh, a request in on the tracker for Haiku for power management framework. I believe that's assigned to you. Did BOS have power management? Not really. No. I mean, that you, you couldn't you couldn't put your computer to sleep with with BOS. Um, and I'm pretty sure it did not have any kind of CPU frequency scaling. Um, I mean, in those days, you know, I don't think laptops were even that that common. I mean, well, I guess they were fairly common, but BOS wasn't really targeting the laptops the way that Haiku would be now. Because, I mean, nowadays everyone's got, you know, a laptop or two. A netbook. Plus a netbook, exactly. So we, we definitely want to – and I actually have – now that the, the browser project is well in hand, um, though I do want to continue tr- contributing to that, um, Stefan has it well covered. So I actually have been investigating ACPI. Um, which is the advanced configuration protocol interface, I believe, um, or programming interface, whatever it stands for. It's basically a, uh, a hardware-level API for controlling things like CPU frequency speed and the the state of the machine as far as the sleep 
mode and things like that. And it also involves like things like the volume buttons that are on a lot of laptops, buttons like that, various other aspects of it, like what happens when you press the power button, what happens when you close the lid. All those are sort of controlled by a CPI. Now that needs a little bit of work uh, on Haiku. We actually make make use of this wonderful library. Thank goodness it was created, I think, by Intel, called ACPI CA, and the CA is Component Architecture. So it's basically an open source sort of library that encapsulates a lot of the, the you know unpleasantness, let's say, behind the scenes for making ACPI work. And uh, you just basically have to write similar to WebKit. You, you write an OS specific layer that the ACPI CA communicates with. Now. Sure. Is ACPI x86 specific? Um, yeah, I, you know, I think it actually is fairly general. Um, and, you know, maybe like certain sort of power PC or ARM hardware might make use of that. And I can talk a little bit, you know, if we have time about uh, some of the other platforms like you might eventually target. But, yeah, it's definitely a, an x86 issue right now that we're concerned with just getting, you know, all the, all the Intel and the AMD, you know, also supports it, obviously, uh, getting all those machines working well um, with Haiku. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, I am interested in environmentalism and, and being efficient with the use of electricity, and it's going to be more of an issue as we go along in the future. And so I'm very interested in getting Haiku being top-notch in that area. Um, I just bought a new, uh, one of those ultra-portable laptops, which, you know, I was complaining about Vista on that. Uh, you, you mentioned my Twitter feed on that. Yeah. Um, I would love for Haiku to be top-notch and to have uh, the best battery life on that machine more than windows or anything else. It's even really, you know, with all the drivers, I, you know, it might be take a while to get there, but I think it's certainly possible because Haiku is very efficient and, it, you know, you could probably even run your CPU at, at half the speed that, that you'd be running it on windows and have the same kind of responsiveness because that's what we want, you know, Haiku to be yeah. you know, very responsive, like, like BOS was. And um, so I could see, you know, having uh, like that laptop supposed to have maybe an eight, eight hour battery life. You know, I could see getting eight, Nine, ten with with a properly set up haiku. That's my goal. We're not even there yet, but but the idea would be to have really good support for ACPI to make use of this component architecture um, to reference Linux and whatever else FreeBSD to to get our drivers rock solid for the power management, for the, the handling of the buttons, for the handling of of routing of of what what are called IRQs, interrupt requests for the the PCI hardware. Because a lot of that stuff needs to be set up in, in our ACPI system as well. And, and the, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. So yeah, anyway, so yeah, that's that's an, an area I would like to look at. And, and uh, to, again, the crossover of developers, the, uh, the the Frederick person I mentioned earlier, who's worked on the Firefox board, he's also very interested in ACPI, and he's been doing a lot of good work in that area. And I hope to to help him a bit once I get up to speed on on that. Yeah, you mentioned um, PowerPC and ARM support. Now so, the original yeah. bio, the original BOS had PowerPC and Intel, at least version four point five, I think. Right now, PowerPC is no longer being used in, in Apple products. At least I should say the laptops, the the Mac Pros, it, they're phasing it out. They're moving towards Intel, and we're right. seeing a lot of ARM devices uh, being introduced uh, to the market today. Is there a reason to continue uh, a high Q port for PowerPC? Yeah, it's it's definitely getting to the, the the debatable, maybe not area. The the one thing I could see it being useful is again making use of older hardware. Um, but I, I think what I would say on that is that the the core Haiku developers probably are not going to spend a lot of time on that. Um, you know, we would like to to to, to facilitate other people getting a PowerPC port going, 
Um, it still needs a lot of work, and there are some people who are interested in working on that um, and who have been working on it. Uh, you know, like I said, usually they're kind of peripheral haiku developers who have been you know around the project, but not really our core developers. And they've been kind of experimenting with it, basically trying to get the the, the first part. Part obviously is getting the haiku kernel to uh, to boot up, and even that part still have, needs some work. Now, is um, is multi architecture support? Is that is that a requirement for the initial release of uh, um, haiku version one? Absolutely not. No, the 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 focus again, just like the. To sort of replicating what BOS R5 was. We're going to be focused for sure on, on, on Intel because we're a small community. We have limited resources and, and we have enough trouble as it is just kind of, you know, getting all our features out, you know, for x86 even. So having full support for other platforms and, and having the infrastructure to have libraries written in different for different platforms you know that all that would would require a lot of work. And though there, there has been some work in that area, one thing I, I do want to mention is on the backwards compatibility issue, um, Haiku, believe it or not, can run old BOS programs, even ones that have not been recompiled or whatever that aren't open source. And a lot of effort has been done to make that happen. But a side effect of that is basically you you have to have Haiku running on a very old compiler. Basically, the, the last compiler that, that was used with BOS, um, GCC, it's version 2. Uh, the, I don't remember the exact version, but it's 2 point something or whatever. And GCC 4 is current. And exactly. So, but for any any modern code like WebKit, GCC four is is the way to go. And the reason you can't use GCC four on something that you expect to be compatible is that basically the what's called the ABI um, is basically the way that C plus plus programs call into other libraries, and it's just it's a it's a way of basically setting up the names or if, so if you have a dog class with the bark method when that actually gets compiled down for the machine that gets sort of encoded in a certain way that encoding method changed between versions gcc2 and gcc3 so the point being we can't compile haiku with gcc4 and be able to run old bos applications so what we've done is the the ingo weinhold kernel developer basically set up a uh, a very intelligent what's called runtime loader. So when you run an application, it, it sort of looks at the application and says, hey, what versions of libraries do you need? Do you need the GCC2, you know, backwards compatible versions, or do you need the GCC4 versions? And basically on that, it can pick the right libraries and load those up in, in the application's address space um, to basically have it work. So what, what that means is you can have one... It's, it's very similar to kind of how Apple handled the, the issue of PowerPC... Uh, but we don't have to do the translation, so it's still it's still x86 code that'll run on the native processor, so it doesn't need any kind of Rosetta system like uh, the older versions of Mac OS X did. So you have like a mirror library in essence. You might have exactly. a library that has one that's GCC2 and one that's GCC4 compiled. Hundred percent correct, exactly. So that that's basically there's a parallel, you know, just like a, and there's there's basically two ways to build your system. You can have a GCC4 compiled base system where the kernel and all that all the libraries that are in, basically the haiku is running on are running gcc4 and then you have gcc2 compatible basically libraries to run the old applications or you can have a gcc2 haiku with the gcc4 libraries that is our default right now because we really want to focus on the backwards compatibility which is having the added ability to run things like modern webkit but probably maybe for release two of haiku the backwards compatibility would be the lesser concern and we'll just have some backwards compatible libraries built in the system to be able to, if people still want to run old BOS applications, which they, they might, 
Um, so we're trying to basically have a, a you know, hopefully a an intelligent way of handling backwards compatibility. You know, I mean, Microsoft is just the hoops that they've jumped through for better or for worse to make ancient software still work on Windows, at least in XP and stuff. I know for for seven and Vista they've changed some of that. Um, you know, we don't want to go down these roads of just having to support you know all kinds of junk and you know. Apple so. typically goes a different route. They they it's more transparent, like classic mode. I remember when we switched over from uh, the OS nine, the classic Mac to OS ten. They offered the, the the classic mode, which ran it in a almost like an emulated mode. Right. So they did try to make it as transparent as possible. But you spoke of R two release two. Uh, I'm sure that a lot of people are already looking towards the future. I, I think there's a project that's called the Glass Elevator. Yes. And now, I guess one of the questions that I have is multi-user support. Is that something that we should look forward to and release to moving forward? Or is there at least some consideration for R1? Uh, I'm pretty sure that's a solid release to concern. And uh, to actually to elucidate everyone, to everyone on the glass elevator reference, I didn't know what it was for some time, but it actually refers to the end of uh, the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory book. And, and the recent movie also has it as well, where at the end of the movie, Charlie and uh, um, what's the name of the ch- guy who runs the factory? I should remember that. Yeah, I um, should too. I just watched the movie like last week. <laughs> well, yeah, he, uh, Willy Wonka. Willy Wonka. Charlie and Willy Wonka take this glass elevator up through the factory and off into to La La Land. And that's where the next book basically starts off. So that's the idea there for the whole glass elevator concept. And so the idea was to kind of keep the focus on BOS R5 backwards compatibility. We have a whole separate mailing list and, and discussion and, and wiki and whatever on, on these glass elevator, you know, oh, we should do this in the future concepts for, for Haiku. What are some of the ideas that are that are popping up on that forum? Um, multi, multi-user multi support, obviously, is 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 a big thing. Uh, honestly, a lot of the things that were going to be for R2 have kind of been pulled into R1 to some extent, like maybe some of the package management. I, I didn't mention that, but but we we don't want to go down the route that some linux distributions have i think the whole package management thing has kind of maybe i don't know it's it's sort of become a cart before the horse or just sort of its own like you know thing like oh what kind of linux distro are you using an rpm or a debian or you know yeah. slackware or, you know and we want to make it as simple as possible and we want to avoid like dll hell or you know, like ridiculous dependency management and just keep it fairly simple. So, but we, we do know it's a concern, you know, like we, we want to make it as simple as possible to install external software. And, and even if the, the whole package management system has its flaws, it does have its advantages. Like in Ubuntu, it's very nice to be able just to click add or move programs or whatever, and, and you know, quickly add something. Yeah. No, so, I do know that BOS was very similar to the Mac as in you could download, for example, a disk image, you could download a zip file. Some applications would you could literally just run them directly after you un- you know you unzip them. Others might have an installation option or right. a, a, you know installation package that would run. Has any thought been given towards, for example, shared libraries uh, and, and part of the uninstall process? Yes, the we've obviously spent a lot of time looking at the, the way Linux and, and and especially Mac OS X have done things. Uh, I think Mac OS X has a decent system. A lot of people have brought up the whole bundle idea. Um, for those who don't know, Mac applications are really directories, and, and they have like all the, you know, let's say the translations and, and the libraries and the icon and all that for the application users are actually in this directory. And, and the, the Mac Finder is just smart and basically making it look like it's a, it's a file. We've thought about that, and, and we might incorporate that idea into Haiku, but we want to actually keep it even simpler and just have basic 
uh, if a, an application was just standalone, you could just deliver it as a zip. And the user could just put it wherever they want. They can add it to, to basically to the desk bar, which is sort of like the start menu um, in, in Haiku. And boom, that's it. But obviously, we do have libraries. You know, we have things like WebKit, which have a lot of dependencies. And we, don't, we would prefer not to have basically you know, humongous application bundles that just package all those together, which you sometimes get with, you know, with, with Mac. So that's where the package management comes into. And, and the direction we've been going is, I think, a pretty cool system. And it's basically it would be like a package file system that is a combination of an overlay and a union file system. So basically what that would mean is you would have a directory where package files, which would probably just be zip files with some metadata inside them, just you would drop those in that directory. And maybe with like a single click, those would be sort of magically expanded all in memory by the operating system into the file system. So it looks like, for example, that, you know, your application Firefox or web positive is, you know, actually installed in your applications, but it really is sort of just a memory reference to the extracted package, but it's all done in memory and and it's overlaid over the file system. And then the union part comes into where, let's say there was a default configuration file that was provided by the package. You could edit that file and it would then become a real file that would replace the one from the package. And the user provided file would sort of take preference over the one in the package. And so you could then, you know, have a default configuration, but easily customize it. And then the beauty of that is if you delete that application, if you had not customized that configuration file, it's gone because it was associated with the package. But if you had, we're going to leave it because you edited it and it became a real file. So that way, you know, and then maybe we'd have an additional option saying, well, I don't care about my configuration file. You can go ahead and whack that too. And we would know that it had been replaced because we could say, hey, this was provided by the package. It's been replaced. You know, do you want to keep it? Or you want to get rid of it. So that, so you know, is this, again, is this part of R one? Um, potentially. Okay. So yeah, it's this not is written an area, stone. This is an area that basically uh, Ingo, again, you know, one of our hardcore developers, he spent a lot of time developing some of the basic, the package file format and the package file system. We still need the the union part that I just mentioned. Yeah. Um, and we also need just all the infrastructure of having a package creator. Um, and then some place to, to host packages, something that downloads packages, et cetera. I mean, I'm, I'm a web developer, you know, I, I do Ruby on Rails stuff you know, for my work. And I've certainly thought of having just some kind of really nice web application um, or even just maybe a local web app, which you could, we could run inside, you know, our WebKit browser or whatever to allow you to like look through the applications. Because, I mean, it seems like it's, it's a great use of HTML to have like, you know, the screenshots and to make use of all the nice JavaScript libraries, things like that. And some work has been done by some other developers like Alexander Von, von Gluck, who, who worked on um, basically Von Glick, I believe his name is, sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, he worked on a site called Haiku Fire. And we also have a, a longtime member of the Haiku community, um, Carl, who's basically put together haikuware.com. So we, we, what we probably will try to do is maybe set up some kind of default protocol or some kind of API that's, that basically each of these sites could support to basically download a list of their, their applications and packages and descriptions and maybe somehow integrate that in Haiku. All this stuff still needs to be fleshed out. There's a lot yeah. of work that needs to be done. Um, someone needs to pioneer that. Again, I, I'd be interested in that, except I'm probably already <laughs> spread too thin. Um, I, I did some work with Ruby packages back in the day. Um, so this stuff, this could potentially offer an open API enough that, for example, a veteran site like Bbits would be able to. Uh, they have tons of applications that have you know have been on there since 
back in the late 90s that I remember, you could theoretically maybe even integrate those into the installer application or yeah. Okay. And and actually, in, in that vein, uh, Carl uh, Bondorf is, is is the name of the guy who runs Haikuware. He actually he he owns Bbits now. Oh, okay. And um and he spent a lot of time actually trying to track down a lot of the uh what what you might call dead links for all the applications that were on Bbits and kind of brought them over to Haikuware. And um, I have a couple out there myself actually. Yeah, and 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 again, if there's any you know BOS users who are listening to this who have some CD somewhere with a bunch of old software they downloaded, you know, hey, get in contact with Haikuware, you know, or someone from the Haiku project. We're definitely interested in, in resurrecting some of that stuff. Yeah, hey, and speaking yeah. of and speaking of the listeners that might be interested in Haiku, what's the best way for someone that wants to at least get introduced to to Haiku? What's the best way for them to do so? Well. Um, you can certainly try the alpha release, but the only problem there is, you know, again, five months have gone by. A lot of work has been done. Um, the alpha release is, is very stable. It's it's a good system to, to try out. You can burn it onto a CD um, just like Linux and run it as a live CD and try it out. And you can definitely get a basic feel for, for what Haiku is about there. Um, on the other hand, if, if you want to get deeper involved in the community and maybe test it out, report some bugs, see how it works on your latest hardware because there's been, you know, hardware fixes since the release. You actually want to look at maybe using one of the, the nightlies. And so we have a website called haiku-files.org where you can go and take a look at some of that. And then our, our, haiku, our haiku website is haiku-os.org. And there's a lot of information on there about how to make use of the nightly images, how to prepare a CD, how to make a USB key, that has Haiku on it that you can boot from. So there's various ways you can you can try it out. Is Haiku um, familiar? Is Haiku uh, does it work really well with, with, for example, VMware Parallels? Actually, it works excellent with with VMware and Parallels. Um, I I have spent a lot of time basically developing Haiku from Linux. Um, nowadays, actually, Haiku is stable enough where a lot of the, the you know developers actually develop Haiku in Haiku, which is sometimes a lot easier than having to use VMware. But yeah, you can you can also download one of the, the nightly image uh, options will be a VMware VM, which you can quickly convert if you want to use it in uh, VirtualBox. Um, there's a simple tool from, from the Quemu project for that. And ironically, we also have support for the Quemu emulator inside Haiku. And as an example, people have actually developed uh, Haiku inside Haiku and tested their development version in Quemu. <laughs> oh, so you can, actually, you can emulate Haiku inside of Haiku. Yes, and, and actually the, the, the Summer of Code developer, Bryce Goff, who was working on basically the, uh, the, the disk partitioning, he, that's the method he used because obviously that's a, a very <laughs> potentially destructive operation. So yeah. to keep his system stable, he actually used Quemu for that. So it's pretty interesting. And so some of the kernel developers sometimes use that to test their kernel changes um, in, in a running Haiku system. So anyways, yeah, very compatible with uh, various virtual machines. You can, you can really have a very quick, low-impact way to test Haiku without even having to burn a, a disk or just you know, scrounge up a USB key. You can just download the VMware image and try it out. And the, the Haikuware site I mentioned earlier also has a, a very nice um, VMware image with a lot of applications built on top of it. Um, I, I, I think he's still keeping that up to date. I, I haven't checked for a while myself, but usually every few weeks he'll, he'll kind of update it with the, with the latest Haiku and um, prepare it. And so you can just download that, try it out. That's cool. So yeah, lots, lots of ways to try it out. We, we you know, welcome you know, new developers. We welcome new users to come try it out. 
you know, we're, we're, I mean, I'm certainly very open to getting different opinions on how to do things and, and, you know, but we don't want to get mired too much in like discussions over this and that, but we do certainly appreciate suggestions and, and, uh, you know, we, we want to make Haiku just the top notch open source operating system, you know, out there and it might take a while to get there, but we, we want to get there. And one last question. If you could implement anything in a Haiku, release one that might not actually have been in BOS or might not be on, you know, in, in the schedule for the actual release one release, what would that be? Uh, probably, and this is totally probably impossible at this point, but full like 3D graphic support so that um, we basically can just have all the compositing and really, really, really fast video rendering and window rendering and have all the nice sort of graphics effects you get in other operating systems like like Windows 7 and, and Mac OS Mac. 10. Okay. So, and, yeah, yeah. so are you just are you just blitting to a to the screen or and and yes like right now we're we're just basically using very basic 2D primitives and what's really funny is that even the the so Linux people may be familiar with the concept of of a Vesa driver yeah but with with usually with very bad impressions because Vesa is just the basically the very minimum it's sort of like the ACPI concept of the very minimum you don't have a driver for the for the graphics card this is a fallback. Yes. And but the the Haiku Besa is is really really good. It's actually amazingly good. And and we we had at one case we're at uh, one of a, a conference. We had Dell de- demoing a video playing on Ubuntu, probably with full compositing support. That was very slow and and not not that good. Not a good demo of their hardware. And we had one of our uh, Haiku evangelist uh, Jorge Mari basically took a USB key with Haiku on it and booted it up on that Dell. And played the same video fluidly, and then played five different instances of it, or, or a huge number fluidly with our Vesa driver with no acceleration, and this is just to show how you know how fast Haiku can be, and, and how we've optimized things. Um, and so, so no visual tearing. Yeah, just very very high quality, very low frame drop. I mean, so just just goes to show that the work we've put into even something as basic as Vesa that, that is sort of a, a crappy, everyone hates it fallback in a lot of other systems is actually very usable. In Haiku, and so what that means is, if we don't yet have that video driver, even a basic one for your hardware, you can still use Haiku and, and be pretty productive in it, even with the, with the Vesa driver. So you referenced yeah. using the GPU, the you know OpenGL to actually do the, the window drawing. Will you have hardware accelerated OpenGL uh, acceleration and, and release one? Um, most likely not. Now we've had a developer uh, basically working in a branch. Um, on importing Gallium 3D. So, so Gallium 3D is kind of the, the new 3D driver architecture that is being developed, you know, mainly for, for Linux, um, maybe even for the BSDs. I'm not sure about them, though. But, but so we have a lot of, basically, Linux people working on that. So we're going to, again, leverage, you know, open source efforts. And, you know, long term is probably what we'll use for our, you know, our, our OpenGL, you know, basic support, like for games. But again, once we have that, and we have, if we have a good selection of, of drivers with 3D acceleration, we can then look at having basically a 3D accelerated app server. So app server is what draws all the windows and, and manages the applications. And to have things like you know very fast shadows or have that genie effect or whatever you get in, in, in the Mac and various other things, having transparent windows, to have all those be fast, you really need that, that compositing support. You know, basically use the power of, of the graphics processor for what it's, you know, what it's made for. But just use it for the GUI. So I, I certainly am in, interested in that. I don't think it's like uh, uh, an absolute requirement for release one, and I don't think it will. We will have it then. But certainly for for release two, we'll, we'll consider it. 
And because, um, you know, you know, a lot of people, when they tried out the alpha release, they complain, oh, this looks like an old operating system and, and, and whatever. Um, I mean, we've updated a lot over BOS. The text rendering is a million times better. Yeah, I, I noticed that first off. And, uh, you know, things like that. So it has been improved, but, you know, it's it's not going to be as flashy as, as some other operating systems are, you know. But we're going to be reasonable. Like, I think the way Mac has done it is very good, the way Windows, to some extent, you know, Linux with the, with the comp is and like the flaming windows and the spinning cubes, that's just getting into like programmers being silly land. And, and you know, we, we want to use it practically, make it, you know, improve the user's experience without getting silly. You know, so we're going to focus on usability and not just, you know, fanciness. Makes so. sense. Makes sense. Well, Ryan, I want to thank you very much for your time. Thanks a lot. I appreciate you having me. And it's been a, been a fun discussion. For show notes or links to information discussed in this episode, go to www.omnes.tv. That's www.omnes.tv and click on device drivers.